This is Home Podcast. And so it would begin. We'll never get over your pregnant thoughts. Mm-hmm. Does it make always, you anxious? Yes, of course it does. <laughs> I'm like, and? <laughs> and? Say it. <laughs> well, speaking of anxiety. Oh, no. Yeah. Let's not get into that yet. Um. <laughs> I love it when we record two intros back to back because it's like, how are you? I am good. How are you? I am good. Good. What's going I'll on? I'll tell you what I'm looking at right now. It's kind of fascinating. So it's Sunday and uh, I live right by a pier and they're pulling out lobsters right out of the lobster. They're pulling the lobster traps out of the water right now, um, which is lobster. kind of wild. I feel like a lobster. I feel like I'm in a movie set of, you know. Perfect what? storm. Thing. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Any New England, like. Did you ever see that one with Casey Affleck that was awful? Oh, which one? <laughs> well, all of them. Oh, my God. I no, just I recently. Nope. I recently, like, I don't know. The last two movies he's been in Manchester by the Sea and The Go. I love that. You did? Yes. Oh, oh. I know. I just. I think everybody has. What everyone walked out of the movie and like it was so funny. I was go I went to it early and there was people outside trying to take surveys and this and they were this and everyone they would go up to like who hated it? No, of just like trying to get feedback and everyone was ever I mean like the movie ended and everyone in the theater was like, What? And like, oh my fucking god, I can't believe like people were just like, How did I just waste two hours that way or three hours, whatever? And then we walked out and this like this woman was like, Anybody would like to give feedback? They had like iPads and everyone was like, Yeah, don't waste your time and just kept walking. (gasps) And like I just and I felt the same. My mom and I were like, Well, damn it, you know? And so I don't know. It was just I I am I I couldn't stand that there was only five words in the movie. I couldn't stand that. Yeah, and then a lot of I watched the yeah. ghost or like the ghost or whatever. It's like him wearing a sheet and I was 20 minutes in and all that had <laughs> happened was they had played they had sat on the couch and talked. They had made out in bed. He had died in a car accident and then and then they what? were standing in the what hospital. And there was like is this a recent It's one? a recent one. It's another one of the same it's like Kate it's like everyone now for some reason is is like casting Casey Affleck to just not talk. Not talk. <laughs> ah, it's so annoying. Anyway, so I turned that off twenty minutes early. And yesterday, by the way, I also went to Thor. Oh, and I love me I, like uh, uh, action movies, but like in comic movies, like superhero whatever. I I just couldn't even. I was sitting next to two teenagers. <laughs> well, and they were like, "Oh, here's were they the on part. a date?" No, no, no. They were just like they just were like severely into Marvel, and like they were just like, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This part is where he's gonna do this." Oh wait, you know what? Like, and they were just like talking it, and I was like, "There were two. There was there were two options. I could say, please stop talking and ruin their like sweet little innocence, or I could just mm-hmm. like." Go. And then sure I just went. And so, I mean, I'd eaten my popcorn. I saw that you went. Yeah, I didn't – I'm surprised you went to that. Um, I didn't really know you liked Marvel stuff. I um, – um, yeah, I was going to go see Lady Bird, but it was like five blocks away and this one was a block away. Mm-hmm. And um, 
And yeah, I mean, I just like going. I mean, I thought it would be engaging and fun. You know, if right. anything, like um, escapism for a few yeah, hours. Justice League was sold out, and so I just was like, "We'll just we'll chill, we'll we'll watch." And it was just so not good. Um, and yeah, and then I walked out. That I went to CB two as um, as all uh, women do. <laughs> and then I bought I bought some dishware. I like I'm like slowly completing. Yeah, I bought bowls. Yeah. So now I have bowls, mugs, and cups. Um, CB two is great. It I is. Got my it is. Mm-hmm. I do. I do like. I do like. I mean, it's so funny. I was like looking at buying this, like this, like Black Panther. Like, um, speaking of movies, I'm looking forward to. But um, I was like going to buy this Black Panther, like plastic acrylic, you know, sculpture, and I was like, oh my god, am I really going to buy art from CB2? And I was like, this is where I draw the line. Um, <laughs> and then I came home and I took a bath, and I was supposed to go see Bill Frizzell last night um, by myself in Oakland or no in Berkeley at a jazz club, and I just was like. I don't know. I'm just no. I You're just couldn't. Doing I'm in a, a weird. Lot. Well, I'm not doing a lot, but I'm also like just in a like. I just couldn't go on a date by myself last night. So I, I went on a date by myself in bed, and I watched Game of Thrones again. I watched That's season the one. Best. <laughs> Did you? You started over for the third time. Yeah, I mean that's like how you know something's so good because you can actually like be like still be like nail biting watching something you've yeah. seen like three or four. I actually also watched season one with my sister, so it's the fourth time I've seen season one. And I was like, but it's just so fucking good. Oh my god, Khaleesi. Uh. See, I I've done that with Mad Men. I watched lots of Mad Men more than once, and I have no problem doing that. Um, I also the other show that I watched. Uh, again, I watched the ending season of last weekend, or maybe this week even, was Newsroom. Did you ever get into that? Never even heard of it. Really? Oh, it's Aaron Sorkin. And so it's got that, like, West Wing fast-talking thing, and it's so fucking good. I love that show. Mm. Um, but while we're talking about, like, shows for just a second, so I have to comment on Manchester by the Sea, and I... <laughs> I do remember that you hated it. I loved it. And and not in like a like it was depressing and it and it did frustrate me. But um maybe it's because it's like it was filmed here it's like filmed literally. Your, it's like filmed in your backyard. Like you live right by Manchester. It yeah, looks like and they where you really live. Yeah, they captured the New England essence that feel, but also I just I don't know. I thought it was I I thought most people are frustrated because it didn't have an ending or they felt like it wasn't resolved in any way, but I felt like it was, I don't know. I, I loved it. I thought he was really good in it. Um, the other show that I've been watching that I just want to tell you about, and maybe you want to watch it too, is Mindhunter, the Mindhunters, Mindhunter on Netflix. Check it out. Mm, I don't have Netflix anymore. Oh. I have to cut down. I have HBO now. I just like – Me and too. I, and Hulu. Oh, and I, I don't just, have Hulu. Yeah. I think I'm actually going to like bite the bullet and get cable. I know. Yeah. I haven't – I have not gotten rid of cable yet. I don't know that I will. Mindhunter is really good. It's about serial killers. Oh, that sounds my PSA. (laughs) (laughs) It is uplifting. How's your um, periods? That I I saw it this morning. I forgot to say hi to it. Oh, it's huge. So I get one massive. What'd you say? It's so big. It's so big. I get one massive (laughs) periods it every time, and and it's like 
If anyone has suggestions on how you, like, before it happens, you, like, before it gets, like, cratery size, you, like, tame it down. I just don't know how. Like, Well, I think that there's probably people with, like, um, cystic acne that are going to, like, write you hate letters right now. Like, one oh. zit, one zit. True. I get them, too. Yeah, I get them, too. And it's, like, one fucking zit. Here's how you deal with it. You put cover up on it. Um, I did last night. <laughs> Um, I, I have the same cover up that I've had for like six years. Oh my god, me too. Yeah. <laughs> I have the same. It's like, but I, yeah, I know. Yes, exactly. Right. Like, thank you. You have the same cover up you've had for six years. I know. Um, I'm sick. I'm sorry. It is. I'm, no, I'm just know. saying it is one of those things that, like, I know a lot of people that. St- I mean, I know enough people that struggle with it. Um, and ones it ain't no thing. It ain't um, no, thing. no, it's not. It um, no and thing. it's beautiful. It's like your one. You know, and it's your. <laughs> I'm a woman. It's not beautiful, but it's fine. (laughs) It doesn't – it's not as – I mean, it's a red – I don't think they're – I get them, and I I don't think they're – I get, like, the one, and I don't – I don't know. I mean, it's just – I know. It's just part of the deal. Yeah, it is just part of the deal. When I had, you know, like a couple hundred on my back, that was not fun. But that, you know, I think Uh, like having an occasional is just a sign that your hormone system's working. working. All right. Mm-hmm. So Allison Miko, I met Allison. She reached out to me. Well, actually, Allison and I, I did Kundalini training with Allison's best friend. Um, and then she reached out to me when she started her podcast and, and then she reached out to you. We've both been on her podcast and I think like I wanted to talk to her, Allison Miko, I wanted to talk to her because I really felt that there's not, I feel with, you know, working with a population that struggles so um, severely with anxiety, there aren't mm. really many a great anxiety resources out there or coaches no. or, and nobody's really talking about it in a way, like when people ask me what's anxiety, I, I can explain it, but not very well. And right. it's just not something I, I can explain what my experiences with it. Um, and I know what I've done to help it. Um, but I loved, like, I loved when I, after she interviewed me and when her podcast was first released, I started to listen and I love how she spoke about being grateful for anxiety. Like we're grateful for, for our addictions because it just gives her this entry point into doing the things that most people put off doing. Yeah. Yeah. And and we've never really, uh, that was well said. Like anxiety is this weird sort of nebulous thing that it's very hard to describe. And I think, um, I, I think it's also like something a lot of people aren't even sure if they have, or if it's just, I don't know. We've, I, I, I had not really experienced, I thought I just, that's just the way I was. Like, I thought that's just how life felt (laughs) to be anxious all the time, you know? Um, and it was so prevalent with my drinking um, and it got so much worse. That was like the the most difficult consequence of my drinking for me was the anxiety that I felt. And so um, and it also has been the biggest freedom that I have in being sober is that it's lessened through a lot of um, the, a lot of work. But anyway, I think Allison, like I love the fact that she's focused on it and she has so many resources and she has a show about it, <laughs> like an entire show about it. Um, it's such a big deal, yeah. especially for women. Yes. So she talks about it. Uh, we talk, we have a whole conversation, uh, about anxiety and what it is and what it's not and what her experience has been. And I think, um, 
a lot of people are going to benefit from hearing her and digging into her work. Um, I do too. And I loved our interview with her. She's adorable and she's sweet and very smart and also yes. incredibly um, knowledgeable in the subject of anxiety. So yes. if you want to find her, her, her podcast is called Don't Freak Out. Um, <laughs> and then you can also, um, you, can, you can find her at alisonmiko.com. And that's A-L-L-I-S-O-N, Miko, M-I-C-C-O.com. And the resources we mentioned are on our website. Um, last little plug. Hey, if you guys love us, can you rate us on iTunes? Thanks so much. We love you for doing that. It helps us so much. Okay. All right. Here's Allison. Bye. 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 I'm good. Good to see you. Too, both of you. It's been a while. Yeah, it has. You just got back from... um, Paris, Croatia. Croatia. No, oh my god, yeah. I want to go to Croatia so bad. It's so oh, it's like just to. a like you know it's just a stone's throw from Italy. Um, but I always yeah. just am like no, I just will stay in Italy. But it's um, where did you? Where exactly did you go? Um, where'd you stay? We went all over. We went um, first. We got to uh, Rijeka, and then we rented a car. We went to Slovenia and Kirk and um, Plitvica and like mm. just. The whole country. And then, um, so my fiance is from there. So then we okay. went to his little, little tiny island, which literally, like in high season, has like 1,500 people. Oh and it was, like, it was amazing. So we were there for like five weeks total, three weeks on his island. Wow. And it's, I mean, it's pretty, it's getting, it's not super hot there right now. Like there, there's great beaches there, but I'm guessing you didn't get a lot of beach time in because it's, I Can, did actually. So, okay. Well, I got back. I got back like mid September, but okay. Oh, so you were there yes. in August. I was there, yeah, August oh to September. God. But I guess you can like go swimming there until late November sometimes. Really? So it's, yeah. Interesting. Which was super surprising. That is surprising. It's, like, on our level, but um, yeah, yeah it's a totally different climate. It's awesome. Oh God, I want to go. Did you um? Did you were you engaged before? Is that new? Oh, this is new. Wait, when did you, did you get, did you engaged, get engaged in Croatia? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> on his island? What? On his island? On his island. Oh my yeah. God. Tell us about what it. What happened? I'm recording. <laughs> we're just going to go into, we're just going to start with this like raw start. Yeah, okay. Tell us about it. So it's so funny because like, um, when we were going there, like the subject of marriage came up on like day one. And I was like, yeah, like, so are you thinking this? Cause we'd been together for three years and we were planning all these things. And he got so short with me and he's like, well, no, because, uh, if I was going to propose, I would have done it already. Day one of our no. trip. So I was like, God. <laughs> like, cause you had it in your mind, but it was, yeah. Yeah. So I was like, I'm going to have to break up with this guy, but first I'm going to have to spend five weeks on <laughs> in a country. I don't speak the language. Suffering and through not him not proposing. <gasps> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then on the very last day, literally the last no. day. No. Yes. Then we were going for a walk to this like beautiful lookout that we would walk past every single day. It was like our spot. And he's like, let's go for a walk. And I was like, I don't want to. I have work to do. Like, I can't right now. And he's like, let's just do it. And then we got there and he proposed. It was like magical. And of course, I felt like an asshole after because I was like, I was telling oh, my no. friends, what do I do? <laughs> <laughs> that was so, 
awesome. For five okay. weeks, though, were you like, I mean, for like literally for five weeks, were you thinking you were going to have to break up with him? No, no, I'm totally okay. Okay. Um, it was like in my mind, especially like because you have those like worry <laughs> thoughts in the back of your mind about things like that. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, I'm having so much fun, but he doesn't want to marry me. And yeah, <laughs> so that was it's, that was my engagement story. That's awesome. There's this, do you know Jesse Klein? Um, Jesse, is it Jesse Klein? I have it right behind me. Je- yeah, Jesse Klein. She wrote, you, you'll grow out of it. Like her fiance, oh. like totally fucked it up right before they were going to get engaged. And like she's like she's a comedy writer. She writes for the Amy Schumer show. But like her story of it is so fucking funny. Um, but then they got married and they have a baby now. Um, That's oh, but congratulations! That's such Thank a big you. deal for three years, and then you went three. and got engaged on his island. That's on insane. His island. Which I should have known. I should have known that's what he was waiting for. But <laughs> I'm amazed that he walked around for five weeks with a ring. Yeah, why did he wait till the end? Did you ask him? I have no idea. I I should have (laughs) asked him and just be like, what were you thinking? I guess because after we got engaged, he had this like big party with all of his friends and everything. So I guess he was like waiting to do something like that. (laughs) Or Um, to not have to be stuck with somebody who said no to them. Um, Imagine. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. Uh, That's crazy. That's awesome. Is it weird to say fiance? Yeah, I hate saying it. I'm like, my yeah, it's, my the, it's such a it's such a my weird fiance. word. Such a weird word. It's so so weird. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Well, okay, so we've already started talking. Um, I've already started recording it just because it was good. Um, but hi, hi. So, um, so this is funny because you have interviewed both of us for your yeah. show, mm-hmm. which was those conversations were so great and I uh and now we're having you on and I have so many things that I want to ask you um about anxiety (laughs) yeah but uh but I want we want you to take us through your story like how because you're sober how did you get to be doing what you're doing what do you do like take us through it what happened So I guess I'll start with what I do. Basically, um, I host an anxiety podcast. It's called Don't Freak Out. And I named that because literally I had been freaking out pretty much all day, every day for about a decade with anxiety. Um, And I came to do it because I saw one, a big need for a conversation on the topic. Um, Everyone that I was reading or exposed to, it it was very, I don't want to say inaccessible, but it was very clinical mm-hmm. and it never really spoke to like my actual experiences with anxiety. And I felt like it left me, um, feeling super alone in it and, uh, super ashamed of the ways that I struggled with it. And, um, just sort of stuck in that stigma of what it means to deal with mental illness. Yeah. Um, and when I found a way out of it, it, well, can I even slow you yeah, yeah, down yeah. for a second? So, because I think anxiety is like this general term that yeah. I don't think a lot of us even really understand what it means. Yes. And you didn't like wake up someday and just go, I'm anxious. Like it, were you as a kid, did you feel this way? You said it was going on for 10 years, but like what was going on? Yeah, that's a great question. So that's actually kind of related to why I got sober is because so in reflecting on why I got sober, I started to think about, well, why was I drinking in the first place? Like what actually brought me to the point where I started to see 
reaching outside of myself as some type of solution. And I could trace back anxiety to as young as like five years old would be my first like little baby panic attack. Mm-hmm. Um, and what did that, what did that, what was that? Like, what did it feel like or what was happening inside you before so you had was, a name for it? Yeah. So at the time, it's actually kind of a funny story looking back, but at the time it was terrifying. My family and I would go on this like boat ride every single year. And right before you would get on the boat ride, you would stand in front of the boat and you would smile and you would take a picture. And in this picture, I literally have this look of sheer terror on my face. Like I'm crying and all of my family is like smiling and like in these like just 80s outfits. And um, I'm crying and terrified because I remember in that moment thinking my dad was going to throw me overboard. And I was like, he's going to throw me in the water and I'm going to die and I'm going to be next to this boat and I don't know what to do. And it was like absolutely based on nothing. Based on nothing, based on absolutely nothing. Hmm. Um, And looking back at that moment, I could see that being like the first experience of just this absolutely irrational worry that led to catastrophic thinking that led to absolute panic. Mm -hmm. Um, And as a child, I was very shy. I was very insecure. I was very nervous. Um, And that basically was kind of who I was until I got to this into high school mm-hmm. and found drinking. And it was like, finally, I had this solution to anxiety. I was able to go from kind of like A to Z and yeah. skip the shyness, skip the social anxiety, skip the worry, and just go to this very loud, wild version of myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I loved that because it was finally something that fixed this, um, way I was feeling that I didn't necessarily had words for at the time. Like I wasn't going to call it anxiety back then. I was just going to call it like insecurity or shyness. Yeah. Um, like feeling scared or feeling just, and was it mostly an internal thing? Like, like, did you even talk about it? Never talked about it. Never, never talked about it. And that's, um, that's common for a lot of people that struggle with anxiety, which you kind of ask, like, what does it feel like? What is it? it exists on a spectrum. You know, there's people like I had panic disorder. I would have panic attacks. Um, I had OCD and that was Mm. terrifying. There's so many different manifestations of it. Some people want to get things clean. And I had this obsession to get, um, get my thoughts clean, like get to the bottom of things, which led to really obsessive thinking. Um, what does that even mean? So, the only way I could describe it is if you walk into like a really messy room, like you walk into a room and there's clothes and books and garbage or whatever everywhere. Yeah. And you just feel this overwhelming, like, Oh my God, how do I, how do I even begin to, to deal with this mess and just picking up every single piece and just looking at it and trying to get to the bottom of it until the room is clean and the room never gets clean. Like that's the so only you're way. pulling apart your thoughts, pulling and- apart my thoughts, um, intrusive thoughts that would come in, which we all have. Like, you mm-hmm. know, we all have those thoughts where you're like, "Where did that come from?" Mm-hmm. Um, but clinging on to it and just saying, "Like, well, what does this mean? And what does that thing mean? And what does the next thing mean?" And just digging and digging and digging. But there's no end to it. Mm-hmm. Um, what did that, like, how did you, di- how did you dig? Like just internally or is it like, were you constantly like questioning people? All of it. All okay. of it. Yeah. It was, um, 
you know, staying up hours, Googling things, um, just looking deeper into my thoughts and obsessing over things. And, um, you know, it, it's never ending. It was yeah. just never ending. And, um, so that, you know, that was another thing that I was dealing with, like was OCD. And there's just so many other manifestations of anxiety that I had and that other people have, which it's, it's makes it almost difficult to talk about it outside of explaining your story mm-hmm. because right. it, it doesn't do it justice to just look at a list of symptoms. You have to understand like, well, how did this show up for people? Right. Um, but it's interesting because there is a common thread through a lot of these experiences. Which is? Which is I'm freaking the fuck out and I don't know, <laughs> and I don't know what to do with You just them, feel you know? like you're always freaking out. Yeah. And like did you just feel like there's something wrong with you all the time or like? All the time, all the time. And um, so to get back to like the drinking. So the drinking kind of was my way um, as a teenager of just anesthetizing that. And it was like the only time where I felt relief. So I chased that. And like I went to college um, based on where I could party the most. So I went yeah. to this like very big party school and like joined a sorority, which is so not me, just so I could drink more. Um, But the anxiety caught up with me because there was this need to still do well and still achieve and feel perfect. Mm -hmm. And in doing that, um, I ended up going to the doctor and trusting this doctor who said, hey, it's going to be a great idea to go on Adderall. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, (laughs) which basically led me into what I would consider my first addiction. I wouldn't consider myself addicted to Adderall. addicted to alcohol, but I would say I was addicted to Adderall. And that was like the moment when it went from kind of like low grade anxiety to full blown an anxiety disorder, you know, panic attacks, um, locking myself in my room for days at a time, just this whole overwhelming clusterfuck. Sorry, I keep cursing. Oh no, 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 no. (laughs) we're fine. I'm curious about that. So like because we, our friend Lara Frazier got super addicted to Adderall too. And I know I took a lot of it in college because I liked how it focused me. Like, um, or at least streamlined, that's not even the right way to say it. It like turns up the volume so much in a way that um, it's like all the thoughts are still there, but you like can focus on one at a time. It's like, it's like turning up volume, I guess, Mm. for me. Anyway, I can see that like being addictive. Yeah. I mean, it, it felt like I totally hear what you're saying where it's like, it turns up the volume. And for me, it almost felt like I was getting in the zone. Like I I, now, like I was just like in the zone, but I didn't realize until, you know, after I was off of it, that like the zone was lasting for like three days and I had done nothing (laughs) but drink black coffee and smoke cigarettes and like Google, you know, So it's like a very strange zone to be in. Yeah. Did it give you, I'm assuming it also gave you a sense of control, you know, over something that feels completely out of control. It did. I think because I, because I had OCD, um, it did feel like I finally found something that gave me like the stamina to get to the bottom of things, um, which was super dangerous. It was kind of like a divine storm of really, um, scary behaviors happening, but, um, you know, it, 
it never worked for me. Like it, the first time I took it, it basically, um, I should have known that it was going to go into the danger zone. Um, Mm. but because like the one time, I think it was a couple months after I had started using it, you know, I went to my doctor and I was like, you know, I'm taking this three times a day. Um, is that okay? Like kind of like a cry for help, but just like seeing what he said, he's like, no, it's fine. That's, that's what I prescribed. Like go with it. Um, and that was the permission I needed to like continue down that path. Um, which, so the reason why I'm telling that story is like, you were asking, did I feel like I was like broken or that my brain wasn't working or something like that? And it was when I started to go have this deeper relationship with Adderall, when I adopted this story that my brain is broken. Mm. Um, and that was a hard thing to work my way out of because I really had imbalanced my brain so much that I had gotten used to, um, crazy being normal. And, and that was something that I had to really work on after. Yeah. Did you, were you on other medications too? I wasn't, no. And it was funny because I was like, kind of a hippie at the time too. Like I was like a vegan and everything had to be organic. And, but I was like smoking and taking Adderall <laughs> like all day, every day. Right. Um, so it's interesting how it can kind of. Control. And then the drinking just like, I mean, Adderall just allowed me to drink more without much, too much effect. Yeah. Well, it did that, but it was also, um, the Adderall had made me so socially awkward and socially anxious that the drinking was the only way I could have some semblance of a social life and not have a panic attack. Um, so it became my way of being like, okay, you're, you know, you're 20, 21 years old. Here's how you'll get out of the house and feel like a normal 20, 21 year old without freaking out again. Um, so it was kind of like this dangerous combination that I thought was working for me. Yeah. So when did it stop? Like, when did you hit a point where it was like, this is not, this is bad? I think there was one moment that stuck out where I had started like setting my alarm really early in the morning, like five, five thirty in the morning. And I would take an Adderall as soon as the alarm went off and then fall back asleep and let the Adderall wake me up. Huh. And so that I could start studying before yeah. school. And yeah. um, and I knew that that was a problem. Um, and then I graduated, you know, with honors because I did nothing but study. And I made the decision to stop it all. And um, I was living in San Diego at the time. And I moved back to New York. I moved back in with my parents. Um, and I did nothing for like three months. I did absolutely nothing. You mean and you stop it all? You like mean no, you didn't do Adderall? I didn't do Adderall. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I was still I was still drinking, um, but I stopped the Adderall. And because you were like scared or something. Uh, what do you mean scared? Like why did you stop everything? I stopped everything because I felt out of control mm-hmm. and. Um, I recognized that there was no way that I was going to be able to function the way that I was carrying yeah. on. You know, there was, there was no way I was going to be able to have a real job and maintain the life that I was living. Yep. Yeah. And, um, and I really, like, I kind of got to the point where I was like, you know what? I would rather work the most bullshit minimum wage 
you know, whatever job, then feel like I have to do this thing um, to succeed. And, yeah. and that was it. You know, it just kind of became super clear to me um, that I had to stop That's it. a like, huge realization. You know, not I many know. people actually can come to that. Most people will sacrifice whatever it is to, to have the, the opposite of that. Most people, I think, don't go for the, I'll do, I'll, you know, take the, you know, quote unquote, like lesser path or the less, um, I don't even want to, I don't even know the right word to, to use. Um, well, it's like you're, you're less, like achieving or the less like, uh, uh, yeah. like outwardly, like successful, I'm make this right. still look okay. Cause yeah. yeah. I think there was just too much pain. You know, there was, there was just so much pain attached to the path that I was going. Yeah. Like I remember I had, like, I would go out in public and just going to the store to get groceries was like an overwhelming experience for me because my nervous system was so on edge. Um, that, you know, panic attacks were just a way of life. Like just, did anyone know, like, did your parents know, did anyone know that you had made this decision to stop doing this and like, or that you were doing it? No one except for my roommate. So um, I was really good at hiding it. And it's interesting because I think um, I always wonder, like, what do the people that knew me then think? Because I was the drinking allowed me to go out and be this like very loud um, personality, right? Mm -hmm. Like this, like just wild person with the craziest stories and everything. Um, so there are people that knew that version of me. And then there were people that, you know, in my classes and things that just knew me as like a really try hard, <clears throat> try hard, like nerd. Um, so it's kind of like this Jekyll and Hyde thing. And my parents lived in New York, so they really didn't know what was going on. Um, and when I got back to New York, I think that they maybe just thought that there was like some depression or something like that going on. But not that it was like this major life change that was happening. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it's interesting. I wonder, <laughs> I wonder what people think now, but I'll never know. So you get back to New York and you do this thing for three months and you just kind of cut it out and you just like hang at your parents' house. I hung at my parents' house. Um, and then I got a minimum wage job, just like I had dreamed of. And um, <laughs> that lasted <laughs> that lasted about a month. Yeah. And um, I ended up uh, quitting that job and moving to an ashram in upstate New York. And um, <laughs> that was that was what I needed, to be honest, because that gave me the opportunity, one, um, to do work that I felt was meaningful. Yeah. Um, what were you doing there? I was farming. I was actually working on an organic farm. That's um, awesome. It was mm-hmm. amazing. It was so amazing. And it, it linked me back into the essence of what it is to be a human being in the first place. Like having yeah. that connection to what I came from and what I was putting in my body. Yeah. Um, to having community to being of service, like all of these things that were missing, but, um, super, super needed. Yep. Were were your parents or other people like, what are you doing? Or was it? Yeah. They were like, before I left, my friends threw me a party and they were like, Oh, Allie's joining a cult. Like this is is what's happening. Uh, They didn't uh, understand. What kind of ashram was it? It was, it was a Shiva Nanda ashram, which 
beautiful. It's like Hatha yoga. And um, Mm -hmm. yeah, it was amazing. So I ended up there and that was kind of, I had considered myself spiritual curious before. And then that was kind of what led me to putting my life back together um, with spirituality being the backbone of what I do and trying to be committed to something that was bigger than myself. Cause it was all about myself before it was just, yeah. you know, crazy. And what, what, okay. So that, so how long did you live there? She was there seven or eight months. Um, and it ended with me actually doing a, I did my yoga teacher training there. And then after I did a training with a woman who you should totally interview, her name is Durga and she runs the yoga of recovery. Oh, and Durga, isn't it Durga Leela or Durga Lee? Yeah, she is Mm -hmm. an angel, saint, amazing woman. And, um, and I learned so much from her just in blending like yoga, Ayurveda and 12 steps and Mm -hmm. using that to find balance in your life dynamically, because it recognizes like Ayurveda, the principles of the diversity between our bodies and how one person, you know, one thing is medicine for them. And then another person, you know, that's terrible for them. So it allowed me to say like, okay, well, what are my tendencies and what will balance me out? Um, so that was did a major, you, sorry, did you quit drinking then too? I mean, you weren't drinking there obviously, but did, was that when you stopped drinking? It wasn't, but it was okay. kind of, it it was kind of the seed for me, um, because drinking it, it didn't become a problem until like my mid twenties. Um, it was definitely something that I was using as like medicine. It was using to mask anxiety. Um, but the anxiety was the problem beneath it. It was the drinking was like a symptom of it. Yeah. And, um, I wish I had recognized at 23 that my life would have been better off without it. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. It took some time to get there. I I more so used what I was learning to address the Adderall use and to address I was going to uppers so quickly. And when you stopped, when you were living in the ashram, like, I'm curious, because that's a very contained, like, uh, there's not a lot of drugs and alcohol at ashrams. Yeah. (laughs) Like, no, no, were you, um, what, how was your anxiety when you were there? Um, it was, it was better. It was better. So it's anxiety is tricky in that, like, I don't think that it ever goes away. And there's a lot of people that disagree with me on that point. They think that you can heal it. They think that you Mm. can fix it. Mm. Um, I think that you can do a lot to, um, fix your suffering associated with it, which is what I have done. Like I, I truly don't suffer from it. Um, and if I feel myself going in that direction, I see that as kind of like alarm bells, but I haven't been able to get rid of just that tendency that I have every day to go into that zone. Um, so my anxiety was definitely better when I was at the ashram because I had eliminated alcohol, drugs, coffee, um, terrible social circles and all of the things that were triggering, but there was still like a baseline there, you know? That's such a good point because I think that's I, – I truly also don't know anybody that's completely freed themselves of, of anxiety. I had – like last year I was reading – was it? I was reading um, The Universe Has Your Back and Gabby Bernstein was talking about having panic attacks. And then I went that day or like the, a, a couple days later and I got Botox. And 
like while I was getting it, I had the largest panic attack that I've had. Um, and there's like, and, and all of these, I've changed all of these things in my life. Right. And, and, you know, given my, like I've removed, you know, most of the things that caused it in the beginning. I've done a lot of the work. I, you know, meditate, I do yoga. And, um, I think it's just such a good point to understand that it's not a signal that there's something wrong. There's, it's just this, it's a part of the human condition that we, that we struggle with it. Um, I still struggle. I mean, I still struggle with it. Yeah. No, me too. I mean, I have a show about anxiety and I right. still deal with it. And I think like, <laughs> you know, like that honesty is also what keeps it real because, right. um, anytime I come across someone who's like, I fixed it, I don't have it anymore. And like, pay me to learn how I'm just like, you're, that's bullshit. Like, yeah. you know, like we're humans and yeah. we're have stuff. Um, I think it's a matter of, you know, committing ourselves to finding meaning in things and committing ourselves to doing the best we can to feel as good as we can. Mm -hmm. Um, and to accept that shit happens, you know, and we're going to have off days. Yeah. Yeah. And that we're not the same as uh, we're not, we're cyclical and not every day is the same and there's not always a reason to why it's not. Mm -hmm. So you are like, so what happens when you leave the ashram? Like what? So I left the ashram And I got a job teaching computers to like 90 year old women, which was amazing Uh. and horrifying at the same time. And (laughs) so fascinating. I'm like, you did what next? (laughs) How does that lead to that? (laughs) Oh man. Well, because I was always like, um, I was just always very tech savvy, like the code when I was younger and things like that. But, um, uh, so I did that and it was actually very funny because like I would sit down with these little old ladies and they would be like so scared to write an email. And I actually wasn't watching this woman when she was doing it. And she wrote help in the subject line and just sent it to her son. And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> oh dear God. <laughs> I was like, imagine getting your first email from your old mom. <laughs> I know. So I was like, Let's send another email. I'll Let's, teach you how. <laughs> That's so great. That's what we're going to call this episode. Yeah. Oh, God. Okay. So you got okay. a job doing so, that. and you're... I got a job doing that, and that did not last long. And then shortly after that, um, I started working in, like, the holistic health wellness coaching field um, for a program that would basically certify people to – teach holistic wellness. And that was like, that was basically the start of what I would say, like my career and like what led me to actually doing the work on myself and to bringing that work into the world and to feeling like I was actually committing to wellness, not just right. myself, but to like actually talking about what wellness means. Right. Um, Cause it's, you know, it's a sick society. So, yeah. you know, I felt angered by everything that I was surrounded with. Um, and I think that finally was like the catalyst for me being like, Hey, let, let's talk about ways we can fix this. You know? Yeah. Yeah. What did you do for them? I did well, a lot of different things, but basically to sum it up, like marketing and, um, just like getting the message out there. Yeah. But there are so many different things that aren't really relevant (laughs) right now. No, I'm just curious. So, okay. So then you, then you, um, you, how long did you do that? I did that, um, 
I'd say four years, about four okay. years. And then um, I moved on to doing that for like different entrepreneurs and um, doing my own stuff. And that's been about three or four years now. Okay. So can you take us through then, like, what was the point? Like, how did you, I guess, like, the two the two things I'm the most curious about, because I, I also want to be able to get into talking about, you know, how you deal with anxiety and, and a little bit more about anxiety itself. But I'm really, like, I guess the two things I'm the most curious about are, one, how did it how did it take you to, what brought you to quitting alcohol? Um, and when was that? And how did that go? And how, you, how did you do it? And then what was, what launched what you're doing now? Because you started this about, you, you started Don't Freak Out about a year ago, I think. Um, so just yeah. that trajectory. Yeah. It, was, it was an interesting trajectory because – so I had started doing like the healing work, the working on clearing up my anxiety and seeing it differently for a while. And um, I had gotten it to a point where I felt really good for the first time. And um, every weekend – Saturdays and Sundays, I would wake up with this dread, you know, and I would check my phone and be like, oh God, like, who did I text last night? What did I post on Instagram? What the fuck? Um, and it was like, you were this, going out, I was going out, you yeah. know, and it was this cycle, this like ritual that I felt like I was doing week after week. Um, and it was, it was so overwhelming, which I'm sure you guys have dealt with that. Like people joke about it now and call it the Sunday scaries, but it's legit yeah. terrifying. Oh, it God. is. It's, the, it's, it's awful. the reason I, I, it's like the top reason I will never drink again. Yeah, me too. Uh-huh. Me too. And so it's, it's interesting because it was like in looking at my story, anxiety was why I started to drink. And it's also why I stopped. Yeah. Um, because I just, I could not do it anymore. And, um, I had had all of these periods of sobriety that I strung together, like it was like a year here or a couple of months there, another year here. And I almost approached it the way like people approach becoming a vegetarian. Like, you know, they say like, I'm just not eating meat anymore. And I was just like, I'm just not drinking anymore. But I never did the work that would make that a long-term thing. Yeah. So why uh, do you feel like you weren't, um, like, was it too hard to not? to, to not drink in this like world that you lived in or it was, it was very easy to not drink in the world that I lived in because I had, um, two communities. Basically I had my wellness community, which no one really drank. Um, Mm -hmm. and then I had my friends that I drank with. So for me, if I ever wanted to step back, you know, during those periods of sobriety, all I had to do is focus more on work or focus more on the wellness end of things or yeah. um, it was super easy to just like shift between the two. Yeah. And, um, when I finally decided like, okay, enough is enough. I just realized like there can't be that fracture in my life. Like it has yeah. to be one or the other. And, um, so I just made the decision to, to, if I never had to have fun again, which I knew is a lie, like I was ready to make that happen. I was ready to, um, confront the things that kept me drinking. I was ready to, you know, get up and go to an 8am yoga class. If that was what would keep me from going out the night before. Um, you know, and you like, you must've also connected it to the drinking to like the anxiety and the drinking to like, at that point, like you, you knew it was not just, you knew it was related. 
Oh, absolutely. Like hand in yeah. hand, hand yeah. in hand. And that's one of the reasons why, like I talk about, um, sobriety so much on my show is because I think, um, a lot of people probably don't realize, like they know it's not helping, but they don't know how closely linked anxiety and drinking actually are. Oh my God. Totally agree. Yeah. So totally I, agree. I felt like, um, there was a, there was a long stretch of time where I would be like, why am I so anxious? Why am I having panic attacks? Yep. And not realizing like, Hey, you slammed like 10 shots last night. Yeah. Maybe that's why. Yep. Yes. Um, yep. So, yeah, and can we talk a little bit about why they're linked? I mean, there's like there's a couple of different things. Like for me, I know there the one of the biggest reasons that it was so linked was my blood sugar and like what I would do to myself of a night of drinking and then the next day the drop in the blood sugar would trigger such a huge amount of anxiety within me. I used to actually go away. Like I stopped um enjoying going on any sort of like girls weekend trip even though I, you know, like I mean, I, I've started to fear them just because I would go away with my girlfriends for weekends, like to wine country or to Tahoe. And like the amount that we would drink was so, was in such excess. And then my body just like on, I, I started having panic attacks on the way home. I had this, like, there was this like famous time of me driving back and getting like between Tahoe and my, and San Francisco and stopping in Sacramento and calling my mom and her boyfriend in Fresno and saying, I need you to come to Sacramento and drive me back to San Francisco to San Francisco because I, my body stopped working and stopped functioning. Um, so I know there's the sugar thing, but can you explain like a couple of different ways that it's linked? Like what is, what are the actual links? Like what is the, what is the reason behind, um, um, what is the reason behind it? Well, there's, there's a lot like the, so blood sugar is a huge thing and that's not um, exclusive to drinking. Like food can affect our blood sugar levels. And with a lot of people, when we do go from that high, high to the blood sugar crash, the low, low, a lot of the physical symptoms, um, mimic symptoms of panic attacks. Mm. And so we start to feel our hands shaky or our heart pumping or, you know, feeling faint or dizzy. And that immediately makes us think, oh my God, I'm having having a panic panic attack, attack. which then causes more panic and more anxiety, like the actual anxiety. Right. Absolutely. So that's one. Um, and also, you know, any substance will affect our brain chemistry. So like you get that rush, you go out and you drink and you're kind of in that like hyperdrive and then that balances out once you start to sober up. So I think you feel the effects of, um, of the drop in that, and that's very overwhelming. And also there is like, there's the, um, the shame associated yes, say, with the that, shame. you know, that's huge. It's like there were, if I really think back on like the things that I did when I was drinking, none of it was like overtly like terrible or embarrassing. Like there's definitely stupid shit that I had done. We've all been there, but it was never like anything so terrible. But I think what it's linked to is um, the awareness that we were acting not in alignment with ourselves. Yeah. And there's something mm-hmm. that is inherently shameful about that. Yeah. Even if we said something totally harmless, if it's something that we wouldn't have said when yes. we're sober, yes. there's nervousness around that. So yeah. that's big. Um, and I also, you know, this is something so important that I haven't really talked about on my show, but just like the spiritual severance that happens when oh. we connect to a substance rather than something higher. Um, yes, it, 
it totally pulls us out of ourselves, and that's real, you know. Yeah. Well, and also so we're using it to like yeah. for transcendence, right? Like most yeah. of us, like are see, like there's so many people. I think I think this is why the whole yoga wine thing is such a disastrous combination because mm-hmm. I think so many seekers are drawn to transcending something. We're drawn to deeper experiences, and we, you know, it's a it's a really, um, it's a it's an uh, artificial it's an artificial path to transcendence where we feel like we're getting closer to, you know, somebody made some mention when I was talking about doing ayahuasca to get closer to God, right? Like I wanted to do an ayahuasca ceremony the, the um, recently, like in the last year. And the idea was I want to experience God. And, and somebody made the really wonderful and brilliant point that she used to drink wine to get closer to God. And mm-hmm. we do use these like artificial means um, in order to have this like transcendental experience. Um, and it, you know, and it never, I mean, it never serves the, it never actually fills it. It's, it's a, it's, it has a, what is it? There's that artificial. quote, there's no artificial high without an art, without a, an artificial low. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, and also it's, um, I love that you brought up the ayahuasca thing because there's so many people that run to that without really understanding the spiritual preparation needed for something like that. Yeah. Like it when the tradition of that medicine came about, it was dedicated people going to that. Like they weren't eating um so many different types of food. They weren't drinking so many different types of substances. They were meditating every day. They were preparing for this ceremony. So it almost became an extension of an already existing spiritual practice and a yes. very deep and dedicated one. And it's now like it's a become, trip. Yeah. It's not a trip. Yeah. And now you have like tech bros from San Francisco flying to Peru <laughs> to get an idea for their next like Kickstarter. You know? Yeah, it's so and true. It's, and it's, that's not what it is. So um yeah. it's I'm yeah, so glad like, you said that too, because I feel like that dis- that um that the pain of that, the anxiety of that disconnect is something that I suspected or that I felt, but I didn't really have words for it. And, yeah. uh, but it, but it was very, for me, it was the most painful part. The disconnection mm. that you felt while you were drinking or recovering the from it. From the disconnection for, um, from God yeah. that I felt when I was drinking, Yeah, like not in the act of actual drinking, although sometimes it was that just when I was a drinking person, I knew that I was cutting off that connection. Yes. And there's huge, there was huge, pain and shame and anxiety around that. And it's something that I don't think it's, it's tricky to say, you know, it's not tricky for me anymore, but I think overall it's, you know, that's something that people might hear and go, I don't know about that. But for me, that was absolutely true. And the first first time I heard someone say that my friend Jenny said that um, to me and, and I was like, Oh my God, that's it. Like that is my deepest pain. Like there's all the other shit that, you know, that causes the anxiety and the pain, but that, that's the it's biggest the disconnection one. from source. Yeah. yeah. And mm. I think, I think one other important point of this as well is, um, like the, the, when you numb out, like when you, when you numb out from actually riding the edge, right. When you actually numb, when you use some other substance to prevent you from actually feeling into your feelings and feeling into your pain, there's also just a natural dis like there's a natural anxiety that arises from that, from that, yeah. from that, like creating almost just creating that, um, you know, like creating that additional fear around fear, um, and yeah. using substances to manage it. Um, 
you know, I mean, there's so many different ways that you can go in it, but I think, um, yeah, what was so that so the second question that Holly asked, and then I have and then I have another one that I just thought of. Um, do you remember the second question she asked? I asked her I how remember. she got to doing her podcast. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. you and I found each other because of Caitlin, right? Like, yeah. and um, and this was about a year ago when you had when you started. Don't freak out. Is that mm-hmm. right? Okay. Yeah, so what, I started last March, I think. Yeah, and when I talked to you, I said, "Oh my god, this you because ha- you have a job. You ha- you also have another job, correct? Right. Okay. So when I asked you about this, um, you said, "Oh, this is just something you were doing. I think you said you were it was something you were doing for for fun or just like you know not as a a career move. But I feel like this is kind of your career, right? <laughs> it well. <laughs> If if it's a career, it is not lucrative because <laughs> losing a lot of so money. So it's a vocation. <laughs> um, no, it it really is um, a passion project because I do have my full time job, which is um, super fulfilling, and it's something that um, I feel so much meaning in. Yeah. Now the podcast itself. Um, I always had this very strange energy around um, like trying to make money off of it because it was it was something that I felt like people needed for free. Yeah, and um, you know, I talked like a little bit about my story in the beginning, but I it, it never my story never really highlights like the depths of the desperation and the sadness and the fear that I felt when I was really struggling with anxiety and. Um, it was only in starting to talk about it with people and starting to be more open with people that I started to realize how many people are really struggling with this. And, you know, you can hear the numbers like 30% of Americans have anxiety, but until you start hearing the stories from people and hearing people's firsthand experiences, um, it doesn't really feel real. And I never, ever in a million years, like I truly did not think that I would ever not suffer from it. I really thought that I was just going to have it forever and that life was going to be terrible. And when I realized that there was a different way to feel, when I realized that if I could find a way out, then I could help anyone find a way out or at least feel a little bit better, um, I knew I needed to talk about it. So I feel like that's kind of why I started the show is just to kind of be open about it and say like, hey, this book helped me or this practice helped me and try it because maybe it will help you. That became the driving force behind it. And also I feel like not having it be a career also allows me some freedom to, um, to divert when different things take my attention. Um, you know, like we were talking about when I was on vacation, like I took two months off and I'm just about to start launching again. And that was really what I needed to not have anxiety yeah, about it. Yeah. yeah. Allison, I, I have a, I think a really important point you brought up is that like, you know, for me, I started having, I mean, my anxiety ran deep and, and it started really young. And I just, I do remember like, um, I mean, in high school it got just, I mean, it was, it was at its worst. Um, and I just remember like there's part of it that just the part that made it the worst was like two things made it really, really bad for me. One was the idea that I was somehow different, that there was something wrong with me because I felt that way and other and, and assuming other people did not feel the depth of my pain and separation and different 
and differentness. And there is depression in that. Like there's certainly depression in that. But there is also an anxiety component to it. And so there's that one part of it that like that makes it really bad is that you think that there's something wrong with you and that you're different and no one else is like you. And the other part that was really hard for me was that I thought I was I thought it was actually not a like just something I was going to struggle with for the rest of my life. I honestly thought it was like the beginning of mental of like severe mental illness. Like I went through periods, really really debilitating periods where I my panic attacks like would leave me um unable to like move my body and I um I had, you know, a period of time where I couldn't drive. Um like I literally could not uh bring myself to get in a car and drive. Um and uh or leave my apartment um just because it was so debilitating and for me this was always there was always this thought that this was the begin like that i knew how the story ended and the story ended with me um like in a mental in a mental institution i mean that really was where i thought i was headed towards and so i think it's really important like you you said when when you were talking about this and why you want to share your story is because like i you know 30% I beg to differ. I think it's so many more people that struggle with it. And I think like one of the reasons that makes it really hard is we we think that we shouldn't. And you have mm. this really beautiful message that we should. And not only like we should, like we should embrace it as, you know, as part of it, as part of it. And I think that makes for a really different experience. But I'm just curious when, when you said that you were just afraid you were going to have to struggle like and life would always be this way. I mean, I get that. But I wonder if you thought it was going to get worse if you were just barely holding on to something and, and preventing yourself. If you were just, you know, one, you know, stroke away from from crazy or, or you know, feeling like it was all going to break at some point. Was that oh, part of yours? Totally. Okay. It, it absolutely was. And it's not even like I was one stroke away from crazy. Like I stroked into crazy often, you know, mm-hmm. and um. I think you brought up a really important point about, you know, when you were in high school and you felt like no one else struggled with this. I would say pretty much everybody suffers from it to some degree. Um, and that's both a good and a bad thing because one of the things that I think is super liberating about it is realizing like, well, why do we have this thing? Like, why do we experience stress, which ultimately leads to anxiety? Um, we evolved to have it, you know, this is a built, in thing that is supposed to keep us safe, right? So we might not be running away from tigers now, but we might be running away from, you know, terrible job atmospheres or a really shitty relationship or just a really sick society, you know, and all of these different things activate this stress response where if we feel uh, powerless over it, we are going to feel like we're going to go on the down. Right. Can I, can I ask you something though? Cause what you're talking about, what you describe as fear to me in my mind and anxiety, I was told is this is actually not an emotion. It's like the result of trying to not feel something, but whatever it is. So is that, is it like the results of what do you think of that? Is it the result of not paying attention to your fear of trying to block it? Um, not necessarily. So I think that we experience it as fear, but you're right in the sense that there's, there's very physical symptoms associated with anxiety. You know, we have panic, panic disorder, social anxiety, general anxiety disorder, OCD, all of these things that exist on the spectrum. 
And I think the severity of which we experience those things are related to our relationship to our stress response. And our perception of fear um, will either heighten that stress response or reduce it. Um, So I think it does come back to just like the wellness of our thoughts and the wellness of our ability to react to stressful situations. Yeah. Because, you know, like, like I said earlier, like I, I don't think that I'll ever get rid of this. Um, but I think that I will always react differently using the knowledge that I have now. Like mm-hmm. Holly, you were saying tools, like, too. like we you, have tools, we yeah. have tools. Yeah. And, um, I think it is important that we do stress or anxiety as a gift, because to me, anytime that I'm experiencing it, um, in a harsh way, I'm pretty much always in a situation that needs fixing in some sense. Yeah. You know, and it's become this like call to action for me to be like, okay, what am I doing? Like, what am I really doing here? And it allows you to course correct. It doesn't make it any easier when you're in it, um, but it makes bouncing back from it a lot easier. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, because I, 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 that has helped me tremendously to like look at every type of emotion that I'm feeling, whether it's, jealousy or fear or sadness or whatever, um, as like information that you could Mm -hmm. use Mm -hmm. versus like something that's happening to you or something that you are, that you have no control over. It's just like energy. I heard this, uh, and Elena Brower said, did this reading recently in a class I took of hers. She said like pain, if we could just look at pain as really strong energy. Mm -hmm. And I feel like when I've had the worst anxiety, it feels like extremely strong energy. And, um, and it, if I used it in that way, which is very hard to do sometimes to like course correct, like you said, or point me as information as just like not who I am, but to point me in the direction of like paying attention yeah, to, to my life, to what I'm doing, what I'm not doing, um, all the people, places and things that I'm surrounding myself with. I think for me, that's hugely empowering and helpful because there's nothing, I think the, the prominent um, response to anxiety for me is just this ultimate feeling of helplessness because it's so strong. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what it is. It is an energy, you know, it's something that literally when activated is coursing through your veins, causing you to act or freeze or run away. And, um, and we have to learn how to recognize that it's happening rather than attaching to the panic or the fear that it's bringing and using the tools that we have to deal with it. Um, because so much of it exists in the future. Like so much of it is really just non-existent. Like mm-hmm. you mean like uh, is thoughts about what's going to happen. Right, what? right, yeah. right. Versus yeah. what is, right. Versus what is. And the more that we can recognize, okay, this thing is happening. How do I actually link back into the what is? Um, that helps us bounce back a lot faster. Yeah. You know? So what have been your, how do you, how have you de- dealt with it and how do you <laughs> deal with it? And how do you tell people like what, you know, maybe the top five things that you have seen work, not just for you, but in talking to so many people? Mm-hmm. Well, I think the most important thing is changing the way we see it. And, um, I was always trying to fix anxiety. I was always trying to get it to go away. Um, And 
there's this one principle of A Course in Miracles, which basically says um, only love is real, right? And we are not separate from our higher power and our higher power is love. So I started to think about that in terms of anxiety. If I'm not separate from this higher power that I can't name or understand, but I know that that thing is love, then that means that every aspect of me is love, is divine, and has purpose and meaning. And that can't just be applied to the good parts of me. It has to be applied to the bad parts of me. So taking that concept, if I look at anxiety through a spiritual lens, it has to be inherently good. And the feelings of suffering or fear that I have attached to it are just the times when I believe in fear more than I believe in love. So I think understanding that this thing is here to help me opens up the floodgates for looking for proof of that fact. And I believe that that's a fact. I believe that this is something that is there to help us. So I I try to just get people to understand that this thing is here for a reason and it's here to guide you. And um, the yeah. next thing that I think is super important is just addressing the um, the physical. You know, what foods are you eating? Do you have yeah. food allergies? Like we don't understand it's inflammation causes so many mood issues, right? So just addressing like going to a functional medicine doctor and seeing what you're allergic to, seeing if you have food sensitivities, um, looking at, do you have nutrient deficiencies? Do you have anything that could be causing mood imbalances? Like one of the things that I discovered for myself is that I have this thing called pyroluria, which makes me socially anxious. And if I take these different supplements, I don't have that. And wow. that's something that's I would have crazy. never known. Yeah. It's absolutely insane. And, um, you know, there's what so about other stimulants like, for you? Like, can you tolerate them like caffeine or things like that? I well, so I took a break from caffeine for a really long time and, um, I noticed just how much it was affecting me. And now I will have it occasionally and kind of watch out for what's going to happen because I do notice that it does trigger me. So mm -hmm. I try not to have it too often. Um, some mm -hmm. people they're like that. They can have it occasionally. Some people can never have it, yeah. but it, I mean, caffeine and anxiety don't go well together. Like that's just a fact. No. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. the four big ones, do you eat ketogenically? Not anymore. Not since, um, yeah. Croatia. Cause basically <laughs> it was I impossible. Eat, yeah. I was <laughs> like, let me just eat croissants all day, every day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But I was eating ketogenically for a very long time. And um, I do want to get back to it because it was the best I've ever felt. And it is just phenomenal for um, like regulating blood sugar, blood sugar levels, reducing inflammation. And just it's for people with anxiety. It's a godsend. Um, yeah. But yeah. Diet is huge. Exercise is huge. Connection is huge. Spiritual yeah. practice is huge. All of these things. What are your spiritual practices that you... Prayer and meditation. So, mm -hmm. and it's funny because people always ask me, like, how do you pray? I literally just talk to something and hope something is listening. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, the same. It's not but, very, it's, there's nothing fancy about it. Yeah, there's nothing fancy about it. And, um, and like, I'll go, like, last night I went to see Marianne Williamson or, like, I'll listen to Gabby Bernstein mm -hmm. or I'll read books and just trying to absorb these spiritual truths, which are, you know, present across so many different philosophies and religions and just saying like, how can I use that 
to apply to what's happening in my life. Um, yeah, like I feel like saying spiritual principles or following a spiritual path, a lot of people think you have to like live monastically. Like you can still be a human and just be like, okay, well, how can I see this differently? And that's a yeah. spiritual practice, you know? Yeah, yeah that's mm-hmm. very true. Um, and then, so, okay, so you're... Is there anything that you sort of like, what have you learned since you started this show about things that maybe you, you didn't know about anxiety before, um, just in talking to other people? Um, if anything, yeah, the thing I've learned is basically like people's different experiences with it, you know, because I, I felt so much like an expert in my own experience of it that I was like, oh, I know everything about it, which is so arrogant (laughs) and egoic to say. Um, and then I started to talk to people that listened and read the emails that they were sending and just see all of the different ways that it shows up for people. Um, and it's, it's interesting because it's really truly like what we are most afraid of happening usually manifests when we experience anxiety. Like I was very afraid of like facial tics or something like that socially. (laughs) And so that's what I freaking got. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. And, um, you know, other people have other things like passing out or, you know, twitching or something. So everyone has like a different experience. That that quote, a worry is a prayer for the thing you don't want to have happen, happen. Isn't that? Oh, like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's like, there's like 10,000 <laughs> philosophies that support that. It's like, uh, yeah. 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 Because yeah, our yeah. brain doesn't hear like, I hope this doesn't happen. It just yeah. hears like this happened. Happen. It just hears yeah, yeah, yeah. facial tick. Oh my God. I know. I know. I used to have this thing where I would be, I would try and not, and try not to think about the thing. I just think about the thing even more. And then, I mean, and it's so funny. Our minds are so powerful. Our minds are so powerful. Um, Mm -hmm. Can you name, okay, last question. Can you name um, a couple of good resources? I know your podcast is an amazing resource. Um, There's not that many great resources out there on anxiety. my friend Kelly Hanlon McCormick is a um, anxiety coach, um, and she has a great website. You have a great um, – maybe point us in the direction of a couple of resources that you really love. Totally. Um, so my two favorite books, one is The Anti-Anxiety Food Solution um, by Trudy Scott, and she basically talks about how to eat for anxiety. And, um, the other is the mood cure by Julia Ross. And that one is really helpful for me in just learning amino acid therapy. Um, it's so powerful for anybody with mood issues. It doesn't even have to be anxiety. It could be depression, um, just general, not feeling well, like things like that. Um, she'll teach you the supplementation for bringing yourself back into balance. Um, And then this isn't specific to anxiety, but I think that um, A Course in Miracles is incredible for training our brain to think differently about the situations presented to us. Um, And and everyone has their own experience with that book, and that book has been life-changing. It's really, I mean, that's a practice. You do it every day. Do you read the book or do you have teachers that you, I mean, you mentioned Marianne Williamson, Gabby Bernstein. I would say those are, you know, I like Marianne Williamson's um, way through the Course in Miracles. Do you you actually read the book? I do read the book. And so for anyone listening, there's an app. It's 
I think it's called ACIM app that you can get for your phone. And um, it takes you through a principle every day. Mm. And you can set an alarm. And literally just every single day, you're working through one step. Yeah, um, I love amazing. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's amazing because also every time you revisit it, you're going through something different. So every oh, single totally. time you do it, yeah. it's different. Yeah. Good work with it the rest of your yeah. life. <laughs> I found... Yeah, I found Gabby's May Cause Miracles. That was my first into it. Um, I mean, I wrote, I'd read her other books, but I thought like May Cause Miracles um, was through. I thought it was a really accessible way to break in. I think even sometimes Marianne Williams and stuff or like people that are just starting on it, I think sometimes her stuff is a little high level um, I, and dense. I think that honestly like May Cause Miracles was the easiest way for me to get into it and then be able to read the book and then be able to like really understand Marianne's um, material. It's true. Yeah. I mean, that book is phenomenal because she really takes you through the different areas of your life and has you work those principles for them. You know, like food, relationships, money, like all of these things which are inherently stressful, um, you're applying these principles to. And actually, there is um, another woman, her name's Corinne Zipko, and she teaches a course in miracles and her book is coming out in January and it's called from anxiety to love. And it's literally Ooh. a course in miracles uh, for anxiety. And Oh, that's so awesome. That's oh. yeah. What's her name? Zipko. Corinne Zipko. Yeah. She was on, she was on my show. Um, Zipko. so she has a really great interview and she's an amazing teacher too, of a course. That's so good. It's so good. I think because I, I don't, you know, I think addiction and really especially alcohol addiction, um, well, at least that's what I'm most familiar with and anxiety just go hand in hand. You know, mm-hmm. I think so many people are shocked by how anxiety crashes. Like for me, my anxiety in a certain way got better when I got, when I quit drinking and then it for a period it got better and then it got worse than it's ever been. For, mm. for a while because all of this stuff came up, you know? Um, and I think a lot of people are surprised and very scared of that uh, yeah. and how they feel, you know, sober. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. your problems do not go away when you get sober. They become almost more real, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, which but is you can, but you have a shot at, at dealing with them, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. So you are awesome. This was, um, so good. And so I know so many people need this so desperately. I know. I know. We, I don't think we've ever specifically no, talked about haven't. anxiety mm-hmm. on this. Amazing. Yeah. Well, I had so much fun. Thank you guys for having me on. Oh, I, I love, love you. People. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. That was awesome. <laughs> Congrats again. Oh, yes. Thank, you. thank you so much. Um, but really thank you so much for having me on. This was like so fun and I just love yeah, you. I know. I love you love too. You too. Love that. All right. (laughs) Hey, I will be, Laura may, but I will definitely be at Gabby's event on the 30th um, in New York. Oh, my God. And then, will you be there? I will be there. Okay, good. I'll say hi to you. And then also, I'll be at the one, I don't, I think I already mentioned this to you, but I'll be, I bought tickets to when she's coming to San Francisco, so I'll be there too, but I don't think you're coming to that. No, I'm not going to that one, but I'll see you on the 30th. Hey, okay, good. Awesome. Awesome. All right, babe. Talk to you soon. Bye bye. See you guys later. Bye. Infinitely.